0: Exodus chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. Then Yahweh told Moshe, This is what you are to say to the Israelites. You have seen that I have spoke to you from heaven. You must not make gods of silver to rival me. You must not make gods of gold for yourselves. You must make an earthen altar for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and your goats, as well as your cattle. I will come to you and bless you in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. So everybody left the service last week, and I went to bed that night, and I was meditating on what I taught and some of the things that I said. And I woke up, the next morning, and I realized a lot of what I said was pretty heavy. Pretty heavy, I think, maybe even for some people here. It's right in the Bible. It's the very voice of Yahweh. But it's so foreign in the traditional Christian world that when you teach a sermon like that on the Sabbath day in the Holy Convocation, it sounds weird. And I'll be honest with you, it even sounds weird to me. To my ears as I'm saying it, because it's so foreign and we're so far removed from people that practice what we see Yahweh commanding here in Exodus 20. Sometimes I forget, sometimes I forget, a lot of times I forget that people are at different levels of understanding. And I'm not talking about saved people versus lost people when I say this, I'm speaking of within the community of believers, believers in Yahweh, believers in the Messiah. Believers in the, to- the Torah, even traditional Christians, within that community there exist tiers or levels of knowledge and understanding. Think about it like this. On a job you have people who are training, people who've been there five years, some 20 years, some 30-year veterans, and some people are retired. And they may call a retiree back in to do something nobody else can figure out on the job site. All work the job or have worked the job. All are considered employees. All are important But the skill level and understanding of various people differs. It varies. And I want to encourage everybody today, including myself, to never stop learning and always keep growing. Keep stepping up on the next level of the ladder of understanding. You know, there was a time in my life when I would not have received what I taught last week If I had been the person in the congregation and listened to what I taught last week, earlier in my life, in my late teens and early 20s, I would not have been able to receive the message simply because I wasn't ready for it yet. Now, I've been in the Torah community now for about 25 years and I've developed a greater level of understanding and it's because I continue over and over to step outside of my comfort zone and try to understand things that seem a little strange as long as they're in the text, as long as they're in the Bible. I remember one time I told Tisha, who was just my girlfriend at the time, I told her, I said, Tisha, I love you, and I believe in Yahweh, but I will never sacrifice a lamb for Passover. I told her that. I was wrong, wasn't I? I was really, really wrong. Matter of fact, my first Passover that I kept that way was 1998, and I think I might have told her that in 1997, late. You know, I meant well, and I loved the Creator at the time. I did. I, I loved the Creator then, but I wasn't ready for that truth just yet. Not just yet. And I realize that in here we have all different kinds of people from all walks of life, all kinds of backgrounds, religiously, non-religiously, And I don't want anybody in here to ever feel like I'm trying to push something on you. That is not what my goal is. I'm not trying to push anything on anybody. I am here to instruct all of you in the Scriptures as a pastor teacher. But I'm also here to be a gentle, meek shepherd over the flock that Yahweh has entrusted me with. Now, I want to encourage everybody here. You can always come to me... If you do not understand something that I say, or if you disagree with something that I say, you can always come to me. And I promise you, I will not belittle you. I promise that. Because we're all at different levels of understanding. It doesn't mean we're not all on the ladder. It just means we're all on different steps or tiers of the ladder. I am not here to be an authoritarian. I'm not here to domineer a group of people. That's not what I'm about. I'm here to guide you in gentleness and I'm here to be patient with you as each of you study in your own time. I've had people come up to me and say, Brother Matthew, I've studied what you said. I just don't see it that way. We've talked about it. They've come back and I've looked at them in the face and I've said, that's fine. We don't have to see it the exact same way. It's okay. It's quite all right. We've got all kinds of different views on things in here. (laughs) If we've got 40 people in here, we've got 40 different views on something in here then. (laughs) But yet we're all here, and we all love each other. We all love one another. Now, there has to be order in any assembly, in any community or church. There has to be order, which means somebody has to lead. And for whatever reason, you always pick me to lead this little assembly, for the present time at least. So there are some decisions that I make for the assembly as a whole But that's just the structure of Yahweh. That's just keeping things in order. And even when I do that, I still look to other men in here and women for guidance in that process. I especially consider what my other teachers have to say, Brother Jerry Kendall and Brother T.J. Martin, who teach here at least once a month, I consider what they have to say extremely uh, considerate because I look up to them both. Um, Not just religiously, not just as men of Yahweh, but just as people in general because they're both really good people. I know them very well. But what that structure and that order in this assembly does not mean is that I think that you have to agree with me on everything just because I'm up here. I don't think that. I don't believe that. You don't have to. Far too many churches, this is important, this needs to be said, far too many churches treat the pastor... Like he cannot be questioned or he cannot be wrong. Far too many. Well, he's the man of God. Pastor said it. I believe it. (laughs) Not God said it. I believe it. Right? I heard one girl say that they don't went from master to pastor. (laughs) That's not healthy. It's not healthy. I encourage and I welcome the open sharing of ideas and understandings that you get from studying the Bible. There are things that we have to be in agreement on. Belief in Yahweh, belief in His Messiah, Holy Scripture. We have to agree that we have to confess our sins and repent of our sins and live obedient lives, right? But it's okay for us to have different understandings at times because we're not all on the same step of the ladder. That's all right. It's okay to give people time to grow and this is very important. During the growth process, be assured that your relationship with the Father and the Son is secure while you're learning. You don't have to feel insecure. You don't have to feel unsaved. And Yahweh knows, help us, we don't have to feel belittled if we don't understand everything that our neighbor next to us may understand. But the subject of animal sacrifices is so touchy with Christians It's like you're pricking a soft spot. You ever had a bruise on your body and you're barely touching it and it hurts? It's like you're pricking a soft spot when you bring up this subject. And it's because most of us have been taught, whether directly or subconsciously, that if we slaughter an animal in a religious sense, that we're denying the work of the Messiah. That's what I used to think. I used to think if I heard somebody that believed in this... God, they called Yahweh because I didn't know what that meant at one time in my life. I thought that was ridiculous. At one time in my life, I did because I didn't know. And I thought, well, if somebody slaughters an animal in a religious sense, they're just denying what Christ has did on the cross. It's like people think that we're saying when we do this or believe this that what Yeshua did for us is not sufficient, so we have to sacrifice this lamb to make up where he lacks. That's what people think. And we've got to understand that's what they think because... We're meeting here every Shabbat and every new moon and we're studying the scriptures and we're gaining more and more levels of understanding and there are people that are still the same place that they were 30 years ago because they're not getting any teaching. And so you bring something up to them like this and you've been in this for 5, 10, 20 years and they're looking at you like you're know, you from outer space if you believe in outer space. (laughs) I have to watch myself now. I preach to all kinds of different people. So... I want you to know that I believe that that's a very wrong understanding of everything inside this subject. The understanding that thinks, well, what Yeshua did is not sufficient. So they're they're trying to make up for where he lacks. If somebody thinks that, that's a very wrong understanding of this subject. And I think that the reason Christianity does not properly understand this issue is due to they begin with a premise. And the premise is this, the law has been done away with in Christ. I know that we don't believe that here. And I hang out with people that don't believe that. You are my friends. I don't have friends really outside of the body of the Messiah. (laughs) So when we talk, we all understand that. But let me assure you, The great percentage of traditional Christianity today still believes the law has been done away with in Christ. They still do. They think it's a burden. They think it's bondage. They think it's archaic. It's primitive. It's no good. It's outdated. We don't need the law. We need Jesus. Jesus came to free us from all those harsh things. I know it because I hear it and I see it every week all the time. It's still prevalent. And if you begin with that premise... You don't spend much time studying not just the Torah, but specifically studying the sacrificial system. If you don't think it is relevant or it means anything to you today, you're not going to spend time researching it. You're not going to spend time studying it. You need to realize that the blood of animals, clean animals, clean sacrificial animals, like when Noah offered up, Abraham offered up, Abel offered up, the blood of animals and the blood of Messiah are two separate things that work in two separate ways. Two separate things and they work in two separate ways. Think of a cup and a fork. Simple illustration. You know why? Because I like simple. I like for people to understand. If Brother Raymond comes over to my house for dinner and he says, Brother Matthew, I'm thirsty. And I say, no problem, Brother Raymond. Get you something to drink. And I hand him that right there. He's going to think I'm crazy, right? Right? that's not what we get something to drink with. Now, if we sit down to eat spaghetti and he says, I need a utensil to eat with, and I say, here, here you go, Brother Raymond, he's going to think again. He's got this backwards. He's switched up. These two implements or utensils are very important, and they both do what they're designed to do, but neither one of them do what the other one does. So if I want something to drink, I take the cup. And I go pour me some water. I go to the refrigerator and get some water. If I'm eating spaghetti, I take my fork. You now, if you do it like this, I stick it down there, I twist it around, and then I eat the spaghetti. If you don't do it like that, you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> so, two different tools, two different jobs. The blood of animals never took away sin on the eternal, redemptive, heavenly scale. Never. Hebrews 10 verse 4 says this, "...for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin." So Hebrews 10 is true. We have to believe it. We leave it where it's at. We don't try to explain it away. We don't try to make it say something it doesn't say. We believe what it says. But what most people miss is they quote the one-liner and they don't read the context of the book of Hebrews. Really, Hebrews chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10... The context of those chapters is speaking of eternal redemption, our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Hebrews is talking about. But we can backtrack and read in the book of Leviticus, specifically Leviticus 16, the chapter about the Day of Atonement. And Leviticus 16 says that the blood of animals covers over sin, forgives sin. Now we have to believe that too. So we believe both. We believe Leviticus, we believe Hebrews, but we don't pit them against each other. And believe it or not, the harmony is right here in the book of Hebrews. And I want to show you this. Beginning in Hebrews 9, verse 11. It says, Now the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come. Now, let me stop right there for a second. There's a variant reading here in that some manuscripts of Hebrews 9, a read, High priest of the good things that are to come, or the good things to come, or the coming things. And I've listed some of the Bibles, Lexham English Bible, World English Bible, Young's Literal Translation, New English Translation, so forth and so on, that read this in the future tense. Not the good things that have come, but the coming things, the things that are good that are still awaiting us. I think both readings hold weight because in one sense, the Messiah brought in the realization and the fulfillment of the good things at His first coming, But yet we await complete realization and complete fulfillment of all the good things at his second coming. It's kind of like the suffering servant versus the Lion of Judah. (laughs) You know, he's both the suffering servant. He fulfilled that at his first coming. And I believe when he comes back the second time, he's going to fulfill the warrior prophecies, the Lion of Judah. Okay, so it's a harmony, first and second coming. Let's keep reading. Hebrews 9, once again, 11. We'll read it again. Now the Messiah has appeared high priest of the good things that have come or that are to come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. So, the author here is referencing a greater tabernacle, a more perfect tabernacle. We would call it a heavenly tabernacle. One that was not built by human hands. Now, we know that there was one built by human hands back in Exodus, and we know That it was great. Because if we read Exodus, a big book of the last half of Exodus is Yahweh specifically instructing on how to build the tabernacle and all its utensils. Remember when we read through the book of Exodus in our Torah readings at Sabbath, and we get to those chapters, and we're talking about this ring and so many inches, and it has to be so, the curtain has to be this color, and make it and measure it, and all this, and we're thinking, oh my goodness, why in the world are we reading this, Brother Matthew? And then at the end of the book in Exodus 40, when Moshe puts all the things in order, what happens? This thick glory cloud of Yahweh comes down on the tabernacle. And I got goosebumps when I say it. And it fills the tabernacle so much that the priest could not even go inside of it to minister. So Yahweh's glory came down when they did everything that Yahweh told them to do to the T. He's specific. He's particular. He wants it done like He wants it done. If you don't understand that, think about it. You buy a new house, you have a wife, and your wife wants it done a certain way. And you say, but this way looks fine, honey. She says, I don't want it done that way. I want it done this way. Right? Uh, This is our house, but my wife's the keeper of this home. So I let her. If she wants something done a certain way, she she can do it a certain way. And I stay back. You have to learn as a husband you do this. Stay back. (laughs) My point is, I'm illustrating the point, that when Yahweh wants something done a certain way, you step back and you say, yes, Yahweh, we're going to do it that way. And then His glory comes. That's the heavenly tabernacle. And it was great. You read in Exodus 40, it was wonderful. But it was not as great as the heavenly tabernacle. One is great and the other is greater. In Exodus 25, 9 and 40, Yahweh tells Moshe twice. He says, you make the tabernacle after the pattern, some Bibles say the design or the model that I showed you While you were with me on the mountain. When prophet Moshe went up that mountain. He entered the cloud. By himself. With the almighty. He spent 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat any food. Or drink any water. You think he was feeling pretty spiritual during that time? I think he was feeling absolutely spiritual. I feel spiritual if I go out in the woods. For an hour and pray. And come back. And even if I've ate that day, I feel spiritual because I've spent some time alone with Yahweh. Moshe wasn't eating or drinking, spending 40 days and 40 nights with Yahweh. He was feeling really spiritual. He was spiritual. He was a righteous man. What we do not understand, though, is that when Moshe went up on top of that mountain, Yahweh didn't just tell him, do this, do this, do this, do this. Yahweh brought heaven down to earth. Moshe, when he entered that realm, he entered the heavenly tabernacle and Yahweh escorted him around it. The Jewish sages talk about this. Yahweh escorted him around that tabernacle and said, You see this? You do it like this. You see this? You do it like this. You make everything after the pattern or the design that I'm showing you so that the earthly models the heavenly. Now, I was never taught about the heavenly tabernacle when I was growing up, but it's right here in Exodus, and it's also mentioned in Hebrews, specifically Hebrews 8, 1 through 5 talks about it in particular. Both books speak of it. The earthly is a copy and a shadow of the heavenly. But the archetype or the original is the heavenly. The earthly is great, but the heavenly is greater. It's not bad and good. It's great and greater. Now, an illustration would be that chocolate ice cream is good, but vanilla is better. (laughs) Now, some of y'all won't agree with me on that, and you would be wrong if you don't agree. (laughs) You get my point. I like to use these illustrations especially for the children. This helps them to understand and they're part of the church too. So we're talking about good and better. Not bad and good, but good and better, great and greater. Nothing Yahweh commands is bad. It's all good, but some commands or concepts are greater than others. Even in the law, which is all good. The law is perfect, holy, just, and good, right? The whole law. Nothing Yahweh says is bad. That's why it bothers me so bad when somebody speaks negative of anything that Yahweh commands or orders in His law. I don't like that at all. I don't think Yahweh likes that. But, but, we also have the concept within that good law of the light and the heavy. It doesn't mean anything is bad. It's just that some commandments carry more weight than others. Take, for example, the Sabbath. It's number four in what we call the Big Ten, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. It's number four. It's pretty heavy, right? Sabbath is pretty heavy. But it's not as heavy as the Sixth Commandment, which is do not murder, which the flip side of do not murder is save life. So whereas if somebody's life is in danger on the Shabbat, if all of a sudden one of the children, we don't realize it they've got out in the door here while we're having Holy Convocation and they're hurt and they need to be taken care of, we stop what we're doing to take care of that life. Because life is weightier, it's heavier than the keeping of the Sabbath. Yeshua taught us this when He would perform acts of healing on the Sabbath. Now, Judaism was not monolithic. They didn't all believe the exact same thing. And therefore, a lot of the Pharisees thought that it was wrong to perform what Yeshua would perform on the Sabbath. But He came and said, nope, you got the Torah wrong, I've got it right. In Hebrews 9... The greater tabernacle is not made with human hands and it's not of this creation. So we go back to Hebrews 9 and verse 12. It says, He, and that's speaking of the Messiah, that He is the Messiah from verse 11. He entered the Holy of Holies once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. So the contrast here is the blood of clean sacrificial animals versus the blood of the Messiah. And when Yeshua entered the Holy of Holies, He was not entering the Holy of Holies on the earth that the Aaronic High Priest would go into once a year. He entered the Holy of Holies in heaven. You said there's a Holy of Holies in heaven? Yes, because there's an archetype and there's one that's modeled after the original. See, He entered heaven and He entered it based on the shedding of His own blood. Not, not additional animal blood, but His own blood. That's how He entered the Holy of Holies. There is a way that the blood of the Messiah, which is really shorthand for His death and all that takes place with His death, Isaiah 52 and 53. There's a way that the blood of Messiah, His death, obtains eternal redemption for those that are in the Messiah. His blood, catch this, His blood does not really purify our flesh Its purpose is not to cleanse our sins in the earthly realm or as it pertains to the earthly tabernacle. I'm not negating His blood. I'm just saying it's more powerful than that. Now, I want to be careful here because I'm not saying that we're not forgiven right now based on the work of the Messiah. We are forgiven right now, but the right now forgiveness that we have in the Messiah is a forgiveness that allows us not entrance into the design tabernacle, but it allows us entrance into the archetype tabernacle the heavenly tabernacle the kingdom of heaven so to speak we're a partaker in that tabernacle based on the blood of Messiah you ever thought about John three sixteen? everybody knows it. they used to hold it in the end zones at the football games for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life that's how the old King James cites it and that word perish it means death but yet we all die we've had loved ones that die all of us is appointed to man and woman wants to die and that's because John 3:16 isn't talking about the first death it's talking about the second death whoever believes in the son of yahweh will not die the second death the eternal death but instead have life in the age to come so the messiah's blood is specifically not really for forgiveness and purification as it pertains to here upon the earth We are forgiven now, but His forgiveness transcends the earth. It goes above and beyond. It goes into the kingdom of heaven. Animal blood does not work when it comes to inheriting the heavenly. It's like trying to give Raymond the fork when he wants something to drink. It doesn't work that way, see? Verse 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah... Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to the Almighty. Cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living Almighty. This is a key verse, brothers and sisters. The argument presented here by the author is one from the lesser to the greater. If this is true, then that is true. If you can get somebody to agree to this lesser thing and they shake their head and they say, Yeah, that's true. And then you all of a sudden you tie the loop on the argument. You say, Well, if you agree with that, then surely you're going to have to agree with this greater thing. Example, remember when Yeshua told the Jewish leaders, He said, if you guys will loosen your animal and guide your animal down to the watering hole on Shabbat and let them drink, if you'll do that for an animal, then ought not this daughter of Abraham be loose from her bond that she's been bent over and stooped over for 13 years and had not been able to straighten her back? and nobody answered him a word. Because they knew he was right because the daughter of Abraham was more important than the animal. And catch this, it's not that the animal wasn't important. The animal was important. That's what makes the argument. The animal life is to be cherished and it is important. But it's not as important as the daughter of Abraham, the woman. So if this is true, then that is true. There's a hierarchy of importance Remember in Mark chapter 12 where the scribe comes up to Yeshua? A Jewish scribe. uh, Second temple period scribe. And he says, Good Master, what's the greatest commandment in the Torah? Yeshua quotes the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Yahweh our mighty one. Yahweh is one. Love Him with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe responds to Yeshua and says, You have answered wisely because there is one God and there is none other but He. And to love Him with everything... And to love your neighbor as yourself is worth more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And people read that and they think, see, burnt offerings and sacrifices aren't worth anything. No, that's not the point. The scribe is saying they're worth a lot. But to obey is worth more. There's a great and there's a greater In the scribe's mind, the reason he brought up the sacrificial system is because of how beautiful it was in the Torah. But he said, but to love and obey is better. And it's so interesting. I didn't read Proverbs 21 before our service, but as Brother Raymond was reading, Proverbs 21 said the same thing. To obey is better than a whole burnt offering. The point is, is that Yahweh wants obedience. If we disobey and try to bring an offering, it's a stench in Yahweh's nostrils. If we obey Yahweh, and bring an offering. It's a beautiful, sweet aroma. Leviticus chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. So the only way that the Hebrews author ties the knot on his argument is if the animal sacrifices actually accomplished something. And this text says that they did. Verse 13 says that the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, that's from Numbers 19, the red heifer, sprinkling those who are defiled, ritually unclean, purified the flesh. If that is true, and it is, then how much more will the blood of Messiah cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living Almighty? The Messiah is a man. He is not an animal. But He's not just any man. He's a perfect man. He's the second man, Adam, Romans 5. He's the new creation. He's the sinless Son of Yahweh. So how much more will His blood... Purify not the flesh but the conscience and allow us entrance not into the tabernacle where Aaron and his sons, his descendants, are ministering but into the heavenly tabernacle where he serves even today as high priest. How much more? Not the external but the internal. Our sin problem goes much deeper than the outside. Amen. (laughs) We sin because we have an internal problem and struggle. And the blood of bulls and goats was not designed by Yahweh to help that problem. It never was. Even back in Exodus and Leviticus, it never took care of that problem. Hebrews is not denying the validity of the animal sacrifices and what they did do. They did something. Even the guilt and the sin offerings did something. They're just not sufficient to forgive our sins on the eternal scale. They do not bring about eternal redemption. Now, why is this important to realize? Well... When we grasp this, this study today, we then realize that when we, let's say, slaughter a lamb in a religious sense for the Pesach, for the Passover, like we'll do not too long from now, or if by chance we offered up a burnt offering for Thanksgiving or a peace offering for fellowship between believers and the Most High, when we do that, we're not trying to compete with what Yeshua did. We're not saying Yeshua lacks on anything. Two different tools, two different designs, two different purposes. What Yeshua did for us is greater than what any burnt offering could do. Hebrews nine twenty three through 24 says this, Therefore it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices. That's the blood of animals. But the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself that he might now appear in the presence of the Almighty for us. The Messiah actually ascended into heaven, he actually entered the heavenly tabernacle, he actually presented himself to the Father, and Yahweh was actually pleased with His heroic act of bravery and sacrifice for willingly laying down His life for us so that we could be forgiven and not perish that second death. So, it's not first about what we do for the Messiah. Now, I'm all about doing things for the Messiah and living like He lived, but it's not what it's about first. It's first about what He did for us. Because... Without him doing what he did for us, we could never be saved from our sins on the eternal scale. We have forgiveness because he sacrificed his life so that we could have life. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. What he did for us will be most realized when we're raised from the dead and judged and found to be in the Messiah we're all still going to die in this life but in him we have the promise of resurrection ultimate forgiveness perfection no more sinning the law completely written on our heart I don't got to teach Elijah and Elijah don't have to teach me anymore we'll all know Yahweh from the least to the greatest our sins and iniquities will be gone we won't even have the ability to sin anymore because Yahweh took the lead and did that for us based upon the work of His Son, His precious Son that He sent for that purpose. All of it is based upon the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah. I hope that helps. You may have to re-listen to this again a few times. A lot of times when I hear a lesson or a teaching or a sermon that I grasped somewhat, I listen to it a second time and a third time and a fourth time. I have to do that to comprehend. Some people get it the first time, and that's great if you do. But I have to go over it again and again to comprehend it until it becomes part of me. You can spend more time reading and studying and meditating on this. I didn't get all this in one night. What I taught on tonight has taken many years of study and meditation and prayer and going back over it again and again, and Yahweh was patient with me in bringing me to a better understanding. And he will be just as patient with you if you don't yet understand this. He'll be just as patient with you. Now, as I close, I realize I haven't talked any more about Exodus twenty twenty four. So, everybody turn their Bibles to Exodus. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I haven't talked any more about Exodus twenty twenty four. But the next time I teach, I will. You always will. We'll have uh, Brother Jerry teach next Shabbat, and then Brother TJ on New Moon. Um, You always will. We'll see how that goes. But next time I teach, we'll go more into verse 24 about the earth and altars. We'll go through some examples in Scripture. I think it'll be eye-opening and enlightening. Maybe even if you know them, you'll still be educated and learn them a little bit better. I just thought as I sat down on the first day of the week after Shabbat to start preparing this lesson, I thought, you know what? I need to teach a sermon about the difference between the blood of clean sacrificial animals and the blood of Messiah and how they do two separate things and how they're not even designed to do the same thing. So if we think about it, the old covenant Israelites that lived back at the time of Moshe, they still looked forward to the promised Messiah. Prophecy is best understood when it comes to fruition, when it's fulfilled. So they didn't see everything like the people that actually walked and knew the Messiah saw, right? But they still had the promises from the prophets about the coming Messiah. So they believed in it, but yet they still offered up animal sacrifices. Now we're on the other side and we're looking back and we're believing in the promised Messiah. Same thing, they believe, we believe. None of that negates the animal sacrifices in the Torah. Um, I needed to make sure that everybody here and anybody that listens to me elsewhere needs to understand that I'm in no way teaching this to try to add to anything that Yeshua did matter of fact, that's not even possible to do. You can't add to the finished work of the Messiah. His work is perfect. His work is perfect. Yeshua gave His life as a ransom for many. And brothers and sisters, we could not have been ransomed any other way than the way that Yahweh designed it through His Son. He paid that ransom price for us. We'll sing our song from Joshua and then we'll do our testimony and prayer request service. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth But you shall think on it day and night Be careful to do what Yah tells you to do So that you will have good success Don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left But stay on the narrow path Be careful to do what YAH tells you to do so that you will have good success.